Isn't that exciting? God is doing some great things all over the world, and we're just so excited to be a part of what he's doing in Thailand. This morning as we begin, let's just bow our heads and uh, close our eyes, and let's just prepare our hearts for what God would do this morning through his word, through his narrative. As you're sitting there, just praise the Lord this morning. Praise him for what he's done in your life. Praise him for who he is, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness toward us, his salvation. Now, just search your own heart if there's any sin that you just feel you need to confess or just ask the Lord to reveal any sin in your life right now. You just need to give to him so that he can speak to you this morning, speak to me. Now, just ask God to, to visit us. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak through his word, to speak to our hearts. Ask him to reveal that sin or that weakness, that fear, that anxiety. Maybe some anger, confusion. Ask God to reconcile our hearts to him this morning and to each other. Father, Lord, set me aside. I'm just an instrument. I need you this morning. We need you this morning. Speak to our hearts. Let us not walk out of these doors this morning hearers only, but doers of your word. Change us from within that the world could see you without. Father, this is our prayer, our desires this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5. This is my life verse. God speaking to Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came unto me, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. What I see here is the very sovereignty of God in Jeremiah's life. It says, The word of the Lord said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And with all that's going on in the world, this is so important. There's such an argument against abortion, isn't it? Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And I have a plan for you. And as I stand before you this morning, uh, a human being created in the image of God, I was born two months premature. Two months. My mom said I weighed like a pound and a half. But look at me, I stand before you a human being. Don't believe that lie. 
God has a plan for each one of us. His word says, before I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. What I see here is the very sovereignty of God on an individual's life. And what we mean by the sovereignty of God, what it, we say God's a sovereign God, what we mean is God is in control of all things. And because God is in control of all things, God knows all things. And because God knows all things, God makes no mistakes. It was the Vietnam War, 1967. American servicemen went to the country of Thailand and were stationed there. And, uh, and they fought a war they couldn't see. They fought an enemy they couldn't win, uh, a war they couldn't win, an enemy they couldn't see. They went to Vietnam. And even some American servicemen today, some veterans from the Vietnam War, might even ask the question, could anything good come out of the Vietnam War? It was 1967, an American serviceman went to the country of Thailand station there. He met a young woman by the name of Sung Nguyen, Prom Thi. Sung Nguyen gave birth to a baby boy by the name of Wecheon, Prom Thi. But when Wecheon was about a year old, that American serviceman abandoned that mother and that baby there and left them there fatherless. But in God's sovereignty, that woman met another serviceman, and he adopted Wecheon. And Harry Weber brought me to America and changed my name. And here I stand before you, a product of the sovereignty of God who took me out of Thailand, a Buddhist country, and brought me to America to where I could hear the gospel. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. What I see here is, is God's selection or, sal or sal salvation setting a part of an individual's life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My mom, a, a Buddhist to this day, my stepfather, an alcoholic. Uh, my dad used to take me to the Bangor Tavern. I grew up in Bangor, Michigan, and he would take me to the tavern, and he would give me quarters, and he would uh, feed me quarters for hours so I could uh, feed the fin pinball machine in that smoky tavern. And for two or three hours, he would drink, and he would drive us home in a drunken stupor. My mom, a Buddhist, uh, I never saw her hug me growing up, living in America. She never said, son, I love you, and I didn't think my mom loved me. My dad, the only thing he picked up was a beer bottle. But in God's sovereignty, a public school teacher by the name of Dr. Howard Wood picked me up every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, and took me to Hartford Federated Church in Hartford, Michigan, where I could hear the gospel. And it was during a youth evangelistic meeting one night, a man was preaching, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Physical and spiritual separation from God for all eternity. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when that man preached, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I knew I was a sinner. See, my mom, if she saw you today, if she met you, she would probably tell you this story. She tells it to everybody. And uh, when I was about three years old, like in that, that school photo there, when I was wearing a school uniform in white, when I was about three years old, I asked my mom to peel an apple for me. But she wasn't ready to peel the apple at the time. She said, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm not ready to peel it now, but I'll peel it when I get out. And when mom came out of the bathroom, I was holding her favorite kitchen knife. And she, she has that same knife to this day. And I was holding my mom's favorite kitchen knife, and, and, and blood was oozing down my arm. And mom thought, what, what did he do? Did he try to peel the knife himself and he cut himself? No. Over here on this side of the house was my mom's favorite sofa where I had punctured 20-plus holes in it. And over here on this side of the house, laying over in the corner, was a bleeding cat. No, it's okay. It was a cat. It wasn't a dog. It's okay. No. 
Professor Dr. Bowman at Piedmont said, the only good cat is a dead cat. Remember that? He used to say that. No, but I don't have anything against cats, okay? I just don't want one against me, you know? I mean, you know, a dog, you know, you can starve a dog, you can kick a dog, and a dog comes back, I love you, I love you, I love you. But a cat, cat's like, you want to pet me? You come here. No. But it's not about the dog or the cat. It's about the very fact that when I was three years old, I didn't get what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted it, that I was willing to kill for it. You don't think we have a sin nature? Scripture says, uh, don't be, our, our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And when that man said, all have sinned, I knew I was a sinner. I said, what must I do? And he said, if you'll just confess that Jesus Christ died for you and he rose to forgive you of your sins and you'll repent of your sin, be willing to turn away from your sin and give that to God, he'll save you. And that night I went forward and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. I didn't know what the repercussions of that prayer was. I, I knew God saved me. My mom and dad uh, got divorced when I was about 13. I went and lived with my grandparents on my stepdad's side. It's my grandmother. When I was 17 years old, I came home one day. All my boxes, everything was packed in boxes, and Grandma said, get out. And here I was abandoned a second time. What does a young man do in a situation like that? But in God's sovereignty, do you hear something here? In God's sovereignty, there was a couple at Hartford Federated Church, Mr. and Mrs. Tucker, they heard what happened to me, and they, they said, Ed, just come live with us, and they took me in. And they had two sons, Billy and Bobby, and Bobby was, uh, 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 he had just joined the United States Marine Corps, and, and he knew that if he recruited a couple guys, he'd get promoted while in boot camp, so Bobby recruited me, some friend he was. <laughs> I spent four years in the United States Marine Corps, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, the armpit of America, and uh, I got away from, I went to some of you are getting ready to join, aren't you? <laughs> Some of you got out, right? And I was uh, Okinawa, Japan, and I got back and uh, got back to Camp Lejeune. Four years I had walked away from God, never stepped foot in the church. I uh, graduated high school, joined Marine Corps with Billy, got out, got out of church. But in God's sovereignty, I ended up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I was working in a factory, and I had, uh, I had everything I thought a young pe person would want. I had the motorcycle, the car, the, the apartment, and all the electronics. But I would go home at night, and I would stare at my ceiling, and I was just empty inside. And I was watch watching, quote-unquote, television. And people were sharing how they were serving God, and, and God was blessing them, and they had joy and peace. And I thought, wow, this is what I'm missing in my life. And in God's sovereignty... Kitty Corner from my apartment was Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Church of 2,000 plus people. Bangor, Michigan had 2,000. 2,001 for tax reasons. But the 2,000 people in this church, this was where Dr. Gary Chapman, who, who wrote the five love languages, uh, he's the associate pastor there. And It was August 26, 1990. I walked over to the church, and that Sunday night they were showing a slide and video presentation uh, of how they had taken a short-term trip to Africa. And they showed how people were coming from miles around to hear about Jesus. And I thought, wow, this is like the love of God reaching out to people. Like when Jesus stood on the shores of Galilee and people came from miles to hear him. See, I remembered that from Sunday school in Awana. Don't give up on your youth. And I remembered that and I thought, wow, this is the love of God reaching out to people. And I, and I just remember praying in my pew, Lord, teach me how to love like this. And someone was singing a song by a Christian artist at that time who was very popular. His name was Steve Green. And the song was, To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission. 
the spring from which our service overflows. And as that person was singing that song, I thought, I just began singing the chorus. It was like the Holy Spirit of God just grabbed my heart, and it seemed like God was saying, Ed, that's right, you don't know how to love me, you don't know how to love your family, you don't know how to love your friends, because you don't know how to love me. And on August 26, 1990, I said, Lord, teach me how to love. And I did something on August 26, 1990 I never did before. I said, Lord, whatever you would have me do with my life, that night I just prayed in my pew. I said, Lord, whatever you would have me do with my life tonight, Lord, I give it to you 100%. What I didn't realize I was doing is I was putting Romans 12:1 into action. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship, your reasonable service. And that, that Greek word is like, like a military term. I understand that, being a former Marine. That word present, because we would go before the commander of the day. Sir, Lance Corporal Weber, reporting towards sir. At ease. And the officer of the day would give us the commands of what he would have us do that day. And as a United States Marine, we didn't question it. We didn't ask why. We just went and did it, and we were willing to die for it. And you know, when I realized something that day, that night, you know, the word present is like a military term. And I realized, you know, I joined the United States Marine Corps, yes, because Bobby recruited me, but also because I really liked that Marine Corps dress blues uniform. I mean, I wanted to wear that dress blues. I mean, if you're Air Force blue or Army green or, or Navy white, thank you for serving. But I wanted to wear that Marine Corps uniform. But you know, when we got into boot camp and it was all about kill, 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 I realized something. I realized that when you, when you wear, it's not just about the uniform. Whatever our commander in chief said, wherever we had to go, wherever we had to defend the constitution of our country, we were willing to go. We didn't ask questions. We did it, and we were willing to die for it. And I thought, wow, how many Christians attend church and they're just wearing the uniform? And they've never said, Lord, I present myself for duty. Wherever you ask me to go, whatever you ask me to do, I am in your battle, I am your soldier, and I'm willing to die for it. You know, the Apostle Paul compared to Christians the two things, a runner and a soldier. We're running a race to complete it, and we're in a spiritual battle to fight to the end. That's what we're here for. And that night I said, Lord, whatever you'd have me do with my life tonight, I give it to you 100%. Three months later, four months later, I found myself at Piedmont Baptist College. Should have never prayed that prayer. I spent eight years at Piedmont Baptist College. I mean, I, God had to teach me faith and, and, and finance and just, just, I was like a new, a, new, a new babe in Christ. And there was so much I needed to learn. And you know, you spent too much time in Bible college when your fellow student gets a master's degree and becomes your professor? <laughs> Daryl McConnell taught me X my senior year, and he started with me. <laughs> you spent too much time in Bible college. But God had a lot of things to teach me. And while I was at Bible college, I was struggling with, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, please show me. But at Piedmont, they had three degrees, pastor, missionary, and educator. And I was real specific in my prayer. I said, Lord, I want to serve you. Please show me what you want me to do with my, with my life. But Lord, don't call me to be a pastor, a missionary, or a teacher. I am in Thailand doing all three. Never tell God what you will not do. But I was praying, Lord, 
And I went to, there was, there was this elderly lady at Calvary Baptist Church. She was 92 years old. Her name was Ann Winger. And I would, I would go to her because I was so discouraged. And, and, I, mean, and I would go to her and I'd say, Mrs. Winger, I don't know why I'm in Bible college. I'm, I'm failing my classes and, and I'm just, I don't know what God wants for me. And I, I just, I'm just praying that God would use me. And Lord, I, I, Ann Winger, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. And that little lady, 92 years old, she, yeah, yeah, many people you've met where when they pray, you know the gates of heaven are just, just, wow. And I would go to her. She was like my mentor. Young people, listen, find a spiritual mentor. Older people, mentor a young person. Spiritually mentor a young person. Encourage them. And that morning she gave me the most encouraging words I ever heard in my life. She took my hand, she looked me up in, in my face, and she said, young man, God did not give you a deep, thunderous voice and a tall stature to not one day oversee many people. What are you talking about, Mrs. Wenger? <laughs> my mom called me from Thailand. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God makes no mistakes. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. God's the God who saves us and sets us apart. And I ordained thee. God's the God who calls us. My mom calls me from Thailand and says, Ed, how would you like to go to, or from Michigan, says, how would you like to go to Thailand and, and, and meet the family, your grandmother? And so I said, well, yeah, sure, uh, that's mom's family. But I had been praying, Lord, what would you have me do with my life, Lord? Please show me. I want to know. Listen, young people, you pray a prayer like that, God's not going to let you down. Listen, middle-aged people, you pray a prayer like that, God's not going to let you down. Listen, older people, you pray a prayer like that, God, what do you want me to do? Show me. God's not going to let you down. My mom said, let's go to Thailand. So I went, and I thought, that's ah, mom's family. But I've been praying. I got to Thailand, and I saw people doing something I never saw before. Growing up in, in America, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, churches on every corner, I saw people bowing down and worshiping a statue. And I said, Lord, this is wrong. John chapter 4 says, we serve a living God. I learned something in Bible college. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Lord, this is wrong. Someone's got to come teach these people. And it was, it was as if the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart and said, Ed, that's right, I want you. I said, well, wait a minute, Lord. I can't even speak the language. I'm, I'm failing out of Bible college. I mean, when we joined our, our second mission agency, they wanted a transcript from Piedmont in order to, to, to see, determine whether they would accept us. And I told my wife, I said, boy, if they get my transcript, you know, I don't even know if I pass 50% of my classes. I don't think they're going to accept me. Well, we got the transcript. And I passed 51% of my classes. Boy, I was so excited. And they accepted us. But I said, Lord, someone's got to come teach these people. And it wasn't just Thai people bowing down and worshiping a statue. It was my grandmother. It was my aunts and uncles. It was my 30-plus cousins. It's my mom. Today, it's my mom bowing down and worshiping statues. And I said, Lord, this is wrong. Someone's got to come teach these people. I went back to Piedmont, and I was struggling with that call. Lord, do you really want me to be a missionary? And three years later, in God's sovereignty, I met some missionaries, and we were able to go back. 
And uh, two things happened that changed my life that summer. As I'm praying, Lord, do you really want me to be a missionary? We were crossing the Burmese border, border patrol and security guards were getting on the bus and, and I had a Thai friend with me and everyone had their passports and their IDs. I tell you, I'm not, I wasn't so bright. Didn't have a single ID on me. Traveling the world, foreign country, crossing a border. They said, Eddie, do you have ID? No, why? It's, Eddie, you look Burmese. They're going to ship you across the border. I said, well, I hope not. And they were checking everyone's passports, and I was sitting on the bus. Lord, what are they going to do with me? And they asked my friend, who's he? And I said, American. And they just walked by. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And I was in Bangkok, and I was trying to get a Thai shirt, something like this, and I asked the missionaries who'd been there for years, how much should I pay? They said about $6. And, and I said, so I went down to bargain, and, and I, I don't know, I, I, I didn't speak much Thai at the time, and I, I was trying to bargain with the lady and, and couldn't get a lower price. And, and it was like, I don't know, it just came out. Excuse me, I'm not a foreigner. My mom's Thai. And the lady gave me a rock bottom price. And I went back to the missionaries and I said, Look what I got. $6? I said, No, four. <laughs> and they said, How can you get it for four? We have to buy hundreds to get it at that price. I said, I'm not a foreigner. And God showed me something about Ed Weber that summer. Ed, you don't know your biological father, but you know your heavenly father. And God makes no mistakes. I was born a product of sin, adultery, a sinful man into a sinful world, but God saved me. And God wanted to use me. And I realized that summer that God could use me. And I took some pictures of me standing next to Thai people, and, and, and they were all like this tall. And as I saw that picture, I remembered those words of Ann Winger. God did not give you a tall stature and a deep thunderous voice to not one day oversee many people. And I thought, wow, God can use me, and it doesn't matter what background you've come from, it doesn't matter what abuse, what abandonment, what things you've gone through, God saved you if you're saved. If you're not, he wants to save you, and God wants to use you for his glory, and God wants to do a great thing in your life. A prophet into the nation, service for God. Service for God, that's what he's called us to. For 18 years, we've been church planning in Thailand. It's been very difficult to reach the adults because every eldest male in the Thai home has to shave his head, become a Buddhist monk, and make merit for his family. But God has really given us children over the years. And when we first opened up our shop doors of our church, see, we live in our church building. It's about this wide, about this deep. And it's a three-story building. And... Uh, so we actually live in our church. We live on the second floor for the last 18 years. How would you like to live in your church there, Pastor? Wouldn't that be great? Some days feel like it, right? <laughs> so uh, we handed out flyers, English as a second language, free, because they're not going to come to church for church, but they want to learn English. So I went to Thailand thinking, I'm going to plant an adult church, just like America. We plant churches. First Saturday, English is a second language. We open up our shop doors. We got four, four of these metal doors. <laughs> open up our shop doors. First Saturday of ministry, 60 kids are standing at the door. Next, next day, Sunday morning, open up shop doors. <laughs> 70 kids are standing at the door. And I was like, wow, Lord, we've got children's church. Lord, I'm not a children's pastor. It's like the Holy Spirit said, you are now. <laughs> I said, but Lord, I can't stand kids. <laughs> and it was as if the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to teach you how to love them. 
So what I did was I installed this fire alarm school bell because we live on the second floor and I wanted to make sure if people came that we were there and we could hear the doorbell. So this fire alarm, ding, 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 store. The next Saturday morning, I tell the kids, come to English at 2.30. Seven o'clock in the morning, next Saturday, still in bed. What in the, I mean, I literally, I, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. The bell was so loud, shocked me out of bed. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be tapped out of bed. What's another to have a fire alarm go off? I thought I had a heart attack. I looked at my wife and said, what was that? She, That's that doorbell you installed. <laughs> a few seconds later, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> she says, you better go check that out. I'm like, I better go disconnect that thing. <laughs> I go downstairs, 7.15 in the morning, missionary filled with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> Open up the shop doors, there's three kids standing there. And my first thought was, what are you doing here? I'm going to eat you up and spit you out. <laughs> and three kids are standing there, five years, six years, seven, I don't, young kids. So what are you doing here? What time did I say English was? 2.30. It's like, what are you doing here? There's nobody at home. What do you mean there's nobody at home? There's nobody home to protect you, to watch over you? There's nobody at home. Can we come in and play? Yeah. Yeah, come on in. Holy Spirit said, you're going to love them. Not right now, Lord. <laughs> but over the years, that's what God's given us. And we've seen children come to Christ. And about eight years ago, the Lord put in our hearts to reach the next generation, to really focus on the next generation. And our pastor came to, to the church and said, What's on your mind? And we said, we've got girls in our church who are 13, 15 years old. They're living with aunties and uncles and no supervision, and they're, they're with their boyfriends. They're getting pregnant. And these are girls in our church, and we can't stop it. And he said, Ed, let's build a home for at-risk girls. How about that? And I said, well, if that's what God wants us to do, sure. Before I knew it, God took me to South Dakota, to churches. I mean, I got a call. Hey, you want to come to South Dakota, meet about 10, 10 pastors? Yeah, I guess, South Dakota. What's in South Dakota? Nothing in South Dakota. So I drove from Chicago to South Dakota. That's a boring drive. Every church was about 40 members, 50 members. Left South Dakota with $15,000. Before long, God brought in $100,000 plus, and now we have the first Hope House for at-risk girls. And God's allowed us to rescue nine girls who've come from various backgrounds, why? Because we're serving him. And God's doing a great work there because we're serving him. Could anything good come out of the Vietnam War? I'm nothing special. But what I've learned is all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose. And so God's doing this great work, and now we've acquired three and a half more acres. If you look at this photo, right on the left, you see those trees? Right by those trees, we have three and a half acres, right adjacent. There's a little road there on the other side of the fence. Let me tell you how we got those three and a half acres. See, my mom's a Buddhist, and I try to witness to my mom, and, and it's just like, I mean, I, I tell people, my, my mom has a direct key to Satan. She goes to the temple. She, she sacrifices pig's heads. She speaks to spirits. Spirits visit her in dreams, and, and it's just such a spiritual battle, and and I'd try to witness to my mom and even, 
you know, when I'd go home uh, to the church after spending time with my mom, I'd be in tears, and my wife would look at me and said, you've spent time with your mom, haven't you? I said, yeah, it's been a rough day. So my mom, the Buddhist, calls me from Michigan to Thailand to mock God. She doesn't call me and say, how are you doing, son? How's your life? How's ministry? No, she calls me to mock God. And she says, Eddie, you still want to do a Christian school or a children's home for God? I said, yeah, Mom, I think that's what God wants me to do. Well, if you wait on God, you're never going to see it happen. He's not going to give you property. So I'm going to buy you three and a half acres. I'm on the phone, and I start crying, and my wife's like, oh, you're on the phone with your mom again. I said, no, this is different. She says, God's not going to give us property, so she's going to buy us three and a half acres. <laughs> and those that were in Sunday school saw that three and a half acres of property. And now we're getting ready. We're raising funds for the, the now we're going from the Hope House to the Village of Hope. And we're going to raise a church community center, and we're going to build more buildings for kids. And the government has given us the license after three years. We had to find our first kids, but now the government's given us the license. Basically, now whatever we build, they will fill. So we're praying this furlough. God would call some couples to help us and take on some boys, and some more single ladies would come and take on more girls as we continue to build God's village of hope and rescue kids who have no hope who will now have hope in Jesus Christ because we're serving them. Can anything good come out of the Vietnam War? All things work together for good. But you know, it's been a long haul. It hasn't been easy. I've had to learn many things. I've had to learn faith. I've had to learn, I've had to learn many things to bring us to this point where, where, where God can really use us. And I shared this morning, I said, you know, missionaries come and they tell these big stories and yes, God is using them, but 90% of it, is, is tough. 90% of it is God molding us and bringing us to a point in a faith in our lives so we can be used greatly for his glory. And I've had to learn a lot, and the main thing I've had to learn for me, I think, is forgiveness. You see, my biological father abandoned me when I was a child. My mom, who calls me to mock God, looked me in the face about 10 years ago while I was a missionary in Thailand. She looks me in the face and says, Eddie, if you weren't born, my life would have been so much better. You're just a burden to me. That hurts. But I had to learn to forgive my mom because she's not saved and she doesn't understand what she's doing. And I'm praying for my mom and witnessing my mom. And I had to learn to forgive my mom and my grandmother who abandoned me a second, for a second time I was abandoned. I got online a few years ago, and I, I, I read this story. This guy's name is Jeff Risley. Jeff Risley was uh, in Sperling, Illinois, in 1996, I believe. A girl by the name of Kayla, six years old, was roller skating in her neighborhood. Jeff Risley picked her up, put her in his truck, drove her to a barn, raped her, and then strangled her with an electric cord. He confessed to molesting 18 girls, and he was put on death row. Now, that's a gruesome story, but why do I share that with you? See, my wife and I, we went to Lafayette, Indiana to get biblical counselor training. Right now, she's taking her master's degree in biblical counseling, and I may be following her. But we went to get some biblical counselor training so that we could better counsel people with the word of God. 
And that night, during that biblical counselor training after we, I walked out counseled. You see, Jeff Risley, who is the pedophile serial rapist murderer, I was one of his victims growing up. I went to school with his brother. And we left biblical counselor training that night, and my wife looked at me, and she said, and she was the only one I had ever shared it with at the time, she said, you have not forgiven that man. And I said, yes, I have. She said, no, no, you haven't. It, it affects every area of your life. It affects intimacy. It affects our marriage. It affects many things. You have not forgiven that man. And I said, yes, I have. I thought I did. And she asked me a question that night. She said, since that event, since that guy did that terrible thing to you, how many times have you thought about that event since the day it happened? And I had to look my wife in the face and be honest, and I said, every single day of my life. And she said, you have not forgiven that man. And I realized that I was enslaved by the event, the anger, the bitterness, the, the confusion, all that. You know, I think Satan knows that if you want to destroy the very sinews of a human soul, the worst way that he can do that is the sexual molestation of a child. But I knew I did not forgive him. And the Bible is very clear. It's a commandment to forgive. And I remember that night just submitting to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength and power to do that because I don't know if I can. He doesn't deserve it. But you know, the Holy Spirit said, neither do you. And I realized that whatever sin I committed was no greater than that one because Jesus died for all our sins. You ever told a fib? Jesus died for that. A white lie? Stolen a penny or a dime? Jesus died for that. That's no worse than any other sin. And I got down on my knees that night, and I said, Lord, I'm willing to forgive if you'll give me the power to do it. And I rose off, off my knees free. The burden was lifted. The enslavement of all that that I suffered for years in my mind and my heart was gone. And God delivered me from that. And I realized that, you know, maybe there's a lot of Christians and we're so enslaved by someone who angered us across the pew. Someone in our family who's disappointed us, some pastor who's disappointed us. But the Bible is very clear. If you want to be the most effective for God and for his glory, you're going to have to forgive. Scripture tells us, Matthew 5, it's, it's for the Jews, but I think we can apply it to us. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and then rememberest thou has ought against your brother, you've, you're mad at somebody, you've got somebody against somebody, he says, leave your gift there at the altar, get out of here. Go your own way, go fix it. Then come back, because I don't even want your sacrifice. Because that's not worship. I think we can apply that to the church. If you're mad at someone, you're angry at someone, how can you even sit in church and expect God to, to receive our praise? Because that's not worship. 
Worship is obeying Jesus Christ 24-7 every hour, every minute. And he says, forgive your enemy. Husbands, love your wives, and if you're uh, likewise dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife and unto the weaker vessel as being heirs together in grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not having a flow of communication with your spouse, God says, your prayers aren't reaching me. They're hindered. Because God is all about relationships. If we have a a vertical relationship with God, we're going to have a horizontal relationship with man because the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't have one without the other. Forgiveness is not a choice. A disciple came to Jesus and said, how many times must I forgive? Seventy? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. 490 times? No, 4,990. Basically what he was saying was every single time. Forgiveness is not a choice. And you know what I've learned is sometimes when we think we think we can we can heal our own self, but that's not going to happen. You might ask yourself, "What, Ed? What what could all this this happen to you? Be a good thing?" You know what I've learned from this? It's taught me that God is the healer of the brokenhearted. We can't heal our own broken heart. You know what we end up doing is we end up putting band aids on it. But until we take it to the Lord and give it to him and what he did on the when we realize our sin against him, how can you hold someone against your brother who can, can, committed one sin against you unless you've done less against Christ? And no one sin is any worse than another. I couldn't heal myself. I kept covering it up. God's the healer of the brokenhearted. We've got to give that to him. He taught me how to forgive. It's a divine miracle that only, that only possible with God's help. We can't forgive in our own flesh because our own desire, our wicked hearts, all we want to do is get even. Or just stop talking to them. Cut off the relationship. That's not biblical. It taught me to love my enemy and have pity on the wicked. When I read that article... I was no longer angry at that guy. I was no longer bitter. You know, I, when I read that article that he was put on death row, I said, Lord, bring him a gospel witness. Help him understand his need for Christ. That's love. Only God can give you that kind of love. He taught me that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God has put a government in order and put courts in order. And, and he, was, he was convicted. And, and, and even when the courts make a mistake and we don't get the, the, the verdict we think the person deserves, it's still in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He'll deal with it. He's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. And it taught me that I could use whatever I've experienced uh, as an encouragement to others who are also hurting because I've been there. I think, I think it was Paul Tripp, uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, we're just hurting people, redeemed to help hurting people. That's, that's what God's put us here for. God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. I've got nine girls we've rescued. The one on the top left in the back, two months ago, our team rescued her. Noam called me and said, Pastor, 
you're going to be mad at me. I said, why? She said, I haven't talked to you. I didn't ask you permission. I said, what happened? She said, well, this girl, she's 14. She was, she was born in a construction site, and there's no birth certificate, no documentation, and we've got an opportunity to rescue her and take her, and I just took her. And I didn't tell you, and I didn't ask you. I hope you're not mad. And I said, no, if you wouldn't have done that, I'd have rebuked you. Well, how are we going to feed her? God's going to feed her. It's okay. And you know, when she sat down with Liz, the lady from our church, and she has two kids, 11 and 7, about their ages. We, 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 we discipled Nom and babysat her kids because her boyfriend dumped her pregnant. She said, when I, I sat down with Liz, and I said, when I realized that I gave this girl value and gave her life, that there was a lot more to life than just me and my two kids. She said, I was just so happy to be able to rescue this girl. I was like, thank you, Lord, she got it. She understands. There's more to life than just our circle. And these other girls, I could tell you story after story. But God is so good, and he's using us. And he's using all those things. What about you? God's a sovereign God. He makes no mistakes. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what hurt, what abuse, what neglect you've suffered, but God makes no mistakes. He's the God who saves us. He wants to save you if you've never asked Christ to save you. He wants to do that. And for those who profess Christ, have you presented yourself for duty? Lord, wherever you'd go, I'm willing to go. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Maybe there's just someone in your life you need to forgive. And you've been held enslaved by that all these years. And you maybe think you forgave him, but you're just covering up the wounds. You haven't given it to the Lord. And God wants you to be all that you can be for him, but you can't do it if you're enslaved to forgiveness. Pastor. Thank you, Ed. I'm going to ask Ed and Darlene if you guys would. Just uh, head right out those two doors and I want you to greet our folks as they head out. Guys, um, I know they'd love to talk to you. Uh, please take time uh, to speak to them. Let them know you appreciate them being here today. I'm going to ask my audio man, video guy, could you throw back up his slide on the questions, those closing questions? What about you? When we gather, and especially at a, at a special weekend like this, a missions conference, guys, we're praying, God, move us, speak to us. How do you want us to respond? And so I want you to look at these questions up here, and I want you to answer that question in your heart before a holy God. He's a sovereign God. He knows all things. He knows the thoughts that you've pondered as you heard today's message. What do I need to do in response to that message? And maybe you're here, and you're on number two, question number two. You're not a born-again Christian. God's tugging at your heart to respond to the message of salvation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And the wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God for eternity. Guys, that's a reality. It's not some made-up religion. That is the truth. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Today is your day of repentance. Today is the day to stop playing games with God. Today is the day to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And if that is you, I beg you, I plead with you today, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. Surrender yourself to him today. He makes you a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Cry out to him today in this closing prayer from the depths of your soul. God, I know I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Save me. Change me. Our passage of Scripture theme for this conference was 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And beginning in verse 17, I want you to hear the word of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ we are ambassadors for Christ, church. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, for those who profess Christ, have you presented yourself for duty? We have the ministry of reconciliation. If we've been forgiven, we need to forgive. So in this closing point, three responses. If you need to call on Christ to save you, call on him. If you're a believer... It's time to present ourselves for duty. And if there's someone in your heart and life you need to forgive, then you need to go from here today and make that right. You're not responsible for them receiving it, but you are responsible to extend it. Just as God has extended His grace to whosoever will, let them come. Let's pray. Father, in this closing prayer, have your way amongst us today. Thank you for the testimony. Thank you for the transparency. Thank you for the truth that was shared today through Brother Ed. 
Lord, I ask that you help us to respond, that we would not just hear a message, Lord, but we would heed it. And so, Lord, as in this closing moment, as we all reflect and think about what you would have us do in response. I pray that we'll just silently listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you'll give us the boldness to do what we need to do.